Welcome to the 76th edition of the Guna Podcast, recorded immediately after number 75 on the first Monday in June, 15 days after Arsenal's final game of the season away to Fulham. Thanks as ever to our sponsors, Gunashirts.com, the website for all your quality cult Arsenal t-shirt needs. I'm your host, Joe Broadfoot, and still with us are, on our panel, Don Bastiano. Sebastiano, even. Oh, I've got two... Whatever it was you said. Kevin Witcher. Hello again. And Gunner Talks, Lindsay Sheehan. Hello. Right, we're going to kick off with the emails we didn't get a chance to read in the last podcast because we ran out of time. So, first of all, Basti, we've got a couple of questions. This email was sent on the 10th of April by Tyler Omiara from Canada. If Cesc were to finally leave the club this summer, who do you think would take over the captaincy? I personally feel it should be Wilshire or Seth Chesney. The Verminator also has shown great qualities. That actually says, uh, but sorry about that, um, Tyler, that was a really bad Canadian he accent. He went very camp, didn't he, Tyler? Camp. <laughs> and, uh, the Verminator has shown great qualities as well. So who's going to answer that one? Um, the Verminator, has he shown great qualities, um, Lindsay? Yeah, I remember back in the day he once played for us, didn't he? And he was yeah, good. when um, he wasn't injured. Yeah. It was a while back. So well, yeah. apart from the last game of the season and a bit. So we've got the choices of the Verminator, RVP or Jack? No, Wilshire or Chesney. Or Chesney. Mm. Mm. Do we want to put it on Jack so young, really? No, I don't think so either. I think let's let's let him develop. Let's let's leave him alone without that one on on his back. So I would say, if out of those three, but let's put it on the Verminator. Right. So it's on the Verminator. So um, well, I think um, we'll move on to our next email at this stage. Oh, Kev, did you answer? Kev was not right. He wasn't going to. I'm sorry, Kev. I'm very sorry. Well, I was looking at you, and you had this decidedly disinterested look upon your face, which was a bit like De Nilsson during last season. And it made me think: No, leave De Nilsson on the bench. He doesn't want to come on. I'll select somebody else. I made a mistake. Justin Wenger even makes mistakes, you know. Arsenal nose brigade, or whatever you call yourself. There's a glass of wine next to you, Joe. Just drink a little bit, and I'll calm down. I'll leave you to it, and I'm off. It's a Valium. <laughs> oh, that's a bottom top, but that will do. These, these artists, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, the, 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 the basic just... underlying point about this is you're all assuming, or possibly not, but you know, by just moving on, we're assuming that Robin Van Persie is not going to be given the captaincy. Oh, the, the, oh, I said RVP, mm. wasn't it? Well, I didn't say anything well, at all, so how are we all well, assuming Well, Joe, I don't want to persecute the man. but uh, <laughs> Go for it. The long and short of it is, you know, that is probably what's going to happen. And then there is this question of whether or not you should have a striker as a captain. Is that the best way to get the most out of the team? Now, I think personality-wise, you know, he's, he's definitely a character, but... Uh, Positionally, for me, you know, the great captains are normally either in midfield or defence. So, but Arsene Wenger's done it before with Thierry well, Henry. See, I mean, mm. you've got to look at mm. the reasons he gives the captaincy. Sometimes, I don't think Wenger believes the captain is actually important because he's got this idea that all the players are equal on the field, mm. and it's a load of bollocks, basically, because mm. ultimately. You know, not all men are equal, and some are better at telling others to pull their socks up than others. Um, 
Go just on. going on to RVP then, um, because I actually really, really, really like his attitude to Arsenal. Please, God, that doesn't change over the next six weeks. Um, but he's been on the pitch when some of the others have been absent. So where was his leadership then if we've been saying in the last podcast we've not had a leader? That was his moment to step up and take well, it, wasn't it? I don't think that someone like Robin van Persie, in his position, as Kev was saying, I don't think anyone further up the field than the halfway line, to be honest with you. Um, you know, for me, the Tony Adams captain thing, there was a real mistake England made once, you know, they made Shearer captain. Yep. You know, and I think Wenger is guilty of making Henri captain and uh, Fabregas captain because he's scared of losing them. Yes, he and he's used it as a kind of, I'm going to make you the captain of Arsenal as a kind of bargaining tool and he's made them captain, captains out of fear, not because they're the best person for the job. And that's completely the wrong motive for it. Um, I think that the obvious c- clear choice with the personnel we have at the moment would be for, Mar- for Marlon. Um, his positioning, his, his first game of the season and last game of the season were fantastic. Mm. Um, uh, the, the rest in the middle, obviously, he was injured well, a few games at the beginning. But he's got that never say... That, that's clearance off the line at Fulham. I mentioned it in the last podcast. You know, that's the sort of... You know, Tony Adams punching the air mm. attitude we want at Arsenal. And certainly from the captain. And Fabregas hasn't got that. Robin van Persie... And none of the other players have that. I, I don't think any of the other players... We need someone who's a leader uh, to be captain. And um, and what about dealing with the press? Isn't that another Oh, it's meaningless. Who cares about that? Yeah, sod the press. I mean, it's on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, the press get the press. Look, we win something... You say that, you say that, follow. but but the captain has to deal with the press. Yeah, he does, but it doesn't matter if he's good at that or not. I mean, sod the press. No, but you say that, Kev, if, if he was bad at it, we would soon we would soon be oh. paying the price, in as much as... We're well, going to get dot points, because he doesn't give a we good post-match doc- interview. No, we wouldn't get Well, Tony points. Adams wasn't good with that, the press. That's he, drove into brick, he got drunk yeah. and drove into brick walls. I, I think yeah. the manager can deal with the press. I don't think that... that mm. cap- captains need to deal with shit on the field. You know, it's Sarge in the trenches that's what you want and we don't have a Sarge in the trenches who shouts at everyone motivates people guides people afterwards after a defeat you know something like that Koscielny getting sacked over the back of the head at Birmingham Adams or Keown would have gone up put their arm around him and said it's alright mate come on put, picked him up off the ground and said let's get on with it we've got a game next week mm. you know and we don't, don't have anyone like that and that's what's missing uh, and Gallas certainly wasn't that player either was mm. he if, on the contrary he'd sit down without making a mistake and sob in the centre of the pitch so that's what we need and I, I hate to say it but I'd, like, I'd love to see us get someone like John Terry or someone along those lines I know a lot of people hate John Terry or whatever but uh, I don't I've, I've, that's the sort of player we need uh, as a captain and uh, if we can't get him then someone along those lines but I don't know who's available so basically you're saying that say we had somebody like John Terry and he, he started having it off with one of <laughs> one of the players' wives. Mate, You're saying that's okay. He can have it on anyone he wants. That doesn't matter. I'm only saying dragging something in which isn't irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, no, that it's, it's relevant because no, it's, it's to not. do with the it press. It just happens to be. Why yes. are you up on the press? Because, because the press is part of it. No, it's, it's part not. of it. Yes, the it more is. we're attacked by the press, the Fight better. The press. Yes, right. I do agree so, with that. You know, I do agree bring with them that. on, as far as I'm concerned. What I want my captain to do is on the field. Mm. You know, In terms of team morale, I accept the idea that you're screwing one of the other players' misses isn't good. But you know, <laughs> we're going down a tangent there, which hopefully yeah. we won't need to explore. 
So oh, you're missing the point that John Terry's a complete cunt, and we never want him in the last <laughs> shirt, which is the main. Uh, no, I disagree. <laughs> I don't, I don't, really? I've, I've got nothing against him. Oh. As a, he's the sort of player. He, I'm talking purely football. I don't care about the players' private lives. If they're not actually killing anyone, they can do whatever they like. Yeah, as the bottom line is we want to win games. Simple yeah, as that. That's it. That's all I care about. But personally, I believe that the press the press put pressure on on the team, and if the captain comes out and says the wrong things after matches, it has an effect because. They read the press, even though they say they don't. They do. You know, you know full well oh. they do. I've got the champions video, and there's a very like apt line where I don't know who's doing the commentating, but he said, "And the press would gift wrap another stick in which to beat the Arsenal." And mm. what did we win that year? Yeah. <laughs> the big one. So I don't care what the press say. I, li- I like the siege mentality. Obviously, you've got to have someone who's not too monosyllabic, but. I think Vermaelen is an intelligent boy and I think he would handle that job brilliantly. He's positioned, like you said, firstly to have the leader in our defence with the defence the way it is or has been would would be real affirming for us to have somebody at the back screaming and shouting. Yeah, Which I mean, but Fabregas has never really done. No, he's never been famous. Uh, basically, I think yeah. Wenger's got a decision to make over the summer. My suspicion is he would bottle it and go for Van Persie. But mm. you know, if he if he was if he knew the best thing for the team, he, he would go for Vermaelen. Well, I've always said another thing that you know, players like Henri Van Persie, uh, players who play up front, um, they want to concentrate on one thing only, and that's getting the ball in the back of the net, or lay, or, or, or you know, mm. making a goal. Uh, they don't want to be worrying about other things at all, the politics of what goes on on the pitch or all the other things that a captain might have to get involved in. So it's just completely stupid to, to make a striker uh, or an attacking midfielder even, I think, um, captain. Pointless. Mm, doesn't generally work. But um, moving on to the other email that we've got for this particular podcast, we've got one from Patrick Brunberg. It was sent in early March... And it proved to be strangely prescient. If you wouldn't mind doing the honours, Lindsay. I am an Arsenal season ticket holder, and every time we have a Premier League game that is not played at 3pm, I get a bad feeling about it. Looking at this season in the Premier League, four out of five defeats have been in games played either earlier or later than 3pm. I know that most of our defeats have been to decent sides, such as Spuds, sorry, decent sides, Manure <laughs> or Chelsea, but do you think that the time of kickoff has an impact? Are players' training slash match day routines broken and therefore have an impact mentally? Can the fact that we play either before or after other results are known have an effect on the Arsenal players? Do you think there is any link? I definitely think there is. Also, looking at the April fixture list, all of our Premier League games will be played either before or after 3pm. I guess I will have that bad feeling for our April then. Would be great if you could raise the issue in one of your podcasts, which we do. Right, so we're going to look at the issue of uh, 3pm kickoffs. Are Arsenal necessarily better kicking off at 3pm rather than, say, 12 noon or, or 5pm or even 7.45? We tend to be dreadful at, at, at when we don't play at 3 o'clock. It's my experience. I don't know why. Mm. Whenever, towards the end of the season, I noticed there was a little run of kind of middays and 1 o'clock and weird times. And my heart kind of sinks a bit. I don't know what it is. We're just not good at getting up in the morning. I mean, I thought the manager puts a great store on the way the players are prepared, and but there'd be no variety in in their preparation from game mm. to game. So much so that when they play away in the Champions League, they will do a training session the day before at their own training ground, mm. fly out to the city in question, and not visit the stadium where they're going to play. 
And most other teams do their training session when they arrive in that city. They go to the stadium, get mm. the feel of the place, and uh, night before have their session. But Arsenal wants it to be the same every time. <laughs> so the only difference is the name of the airport where the players happen to land. But everything else is just designed not to be any distraction to them so they have complete focus on their game. Um, and you've got to wonder if, if the obsession with this actually ends up having a, a negative effect, that they're not very adaptable. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's something to be said for changing in the routine actually is not, is not suited to some of these players. And then you've got to ask the question, well, if you're going to be a successful team, you can be kicking off all bloody times, so you get used to it and, and you, you, you adapt with it. Yeah. So get rid of this obsession with never changing anything and, and, and start treating mm. each game individually for what it is, including preparing for the opposition, and maybe we'll see better results. Is that is that your experience as well, Lindsay? That it's a three pm, or we're well, probably not going to do well. Well, I, I know it used to be when they had Satanta, and you just used to oh shit, if it, we're going to lose today because it was a five fifteen on Satanta special, mm. and you knew we were going up the wall. <laughs> um, so there is something in it. I don't know why that would not make any difference. We've had such good away form this season, so if that doesn't affect their away form, why does it affect with the timing? I don't know, but there's definitely something in it because we are. I used to think that sometimes if you knew, because where we are mentally with that team, I used to think if they knew what had happened elsewhere, that was what put them into the meltdown. Mm. Sorry, um, but it is there is definitely that doesn't work for the one o'clock kickoffs, does it? Well, I, w- I wish I could say something different, but um, well, all we can say is not going to change. Uh, we we will be unless we drop out of contention. Compl- I mean, the really worrying thing is we don't get through the Champions League qualifier, and we're playing every bloody game on Sunday next season. Because I don't think any of us really enjoy Sunday matches that much. And we'd all rather play on Saturday. But uh, if we're in the Europa League, um, we will be playing on Sunday a hell of a lot. Well, moving from that sad thought to something happy, what about the highlight? And then also the low light of last season. Can we go through, have a, have a little think about it. I'll tell you my highlight of last season was probably beating Chelsea at home. That was That was definitely the highlight for me because... I'd just come back from Japan and, and there I was getting getting a ticket in the North Bank right near the front and, and it was impossible. Don't we actually beat Chelsea. It seemed so impossible. Mm. And people were slagging off Theo all around me and there he was scoring a goal. Thank you. I, I said great, it all along. I said it all moment. along. It's not that bad. It was a great moment. It's got mm. to be Barca at home for me. Mm. Uh, you know, that was, that was just... Uh, but, well, that might be because I wasn't at the Chelsea game actually. So uh, had I been there, maybe I'd have felt mm. different. I was in, in Hamburg at the time, yeah. watching it on a grainy kind of uh, what's it thing. But yeah, that, that was definitely one of them. But Barca edges it, I think. Mm. Yeah. For me, uh, the away trip to Blackpool for many reasons. Nice sunny day, and you walk in the ground. Someone says to you, "Layman's playing." <laughs> 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 and, uh, my initial thought was. Fengers had the bollocks to drop Almunia. Mm. Brilliant. As it turned out subsequently, now I've never quite got to the bottom of this. In theory, he injured himself during the warm-up. Mm. Someone else said to me that he just really crap in the warm-up. Mm. And he, he, obviously his confidence had gone. And he mm. decided himself he almost couldn't play. <laughs> and declared himself injured. Mm. Now I don't know if that's true or not. But just to see the contrast uh, between what we'd been putting up with with Almunia and then seeing Lehman back in, 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 in the goal 
bawling out some of his defenders. Uh, it was just emotional for me, and uh, oh, I just loved it. And even even Jens, true to form, gave away a bloody penalty. But got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> he should have gone. He should have got the red card. But oh. fortunately, they scored, and he got away with it. But uh, I just loved that afternoon. How about for you, uh, Lindsay? Uh, my top three: third place, mm. Man United at home; second place, Chelsea at home; first place, Barcelona. And now the opposite. What about the low lights? The low Plenty point? of choices. Oh dear. Plenty of choices. Some of it's stars. much harder to pick out something. Well, I mean, uh, just the one. I, I mean, obviously, you know, losing the Carling Cup final in the way we did is is going to be a major one. But mm. ultimately, for what it says about the team. Um, the Newcastle away uh, second half mm. oh. was oh. a dagger through the heart and ultimately that was probably where the season actually was lost not not Birmingham which was a couple of weeks later it was there when the confidence uh, of the team just completely collapsed now there was different factors certainly DRB's in discipline which is unforgivable mm. Obviously, the referee had a, a stinker, but even so, mm. we did play very poorly. And Rosicky was—I was amazed to see Rosicky ever line up in an Arsenal shirt again after that game. And yet there he was at Wembley in the County mm. Cup final. Um, so that—that that probably is it. And I, I mean, I think it will be remembered as a unique point in Arsenal's history. And uh, well, hopefully, it won't happen again. But uh, I mean, just the stuff of nightmares. I'd just like to add my low point of the season because you've sort of reminded me in a roundabout way for some reason I suddenly thought about Emmanuel Ebui and against Liverpool and his indiscipline and he's been one of those players that I used to say if he was played in the right position and I don't really feel he's a right back he's a right winger and he's turned out to be neither a right back nor a right he's he's a cool jester and that that realisation was very painful to me that that even oh. even somebody that has a lot of pace like Abui has some skill, yeah, he's not going. He doesn't seem like he's going to make it at Arsenal. And that realization that he's actually going to cost us the title—that's how it felt mm. at the time of of him, you know, showing this tremendous amount of indiscipline, getting away with it, and then doing the same thing again. You know, it was just it was just crazy to do it twice to give away two silly fouls. So for me, that was probably I think the Liverpool, lowest point. That Liverpool game for me personally, uh, emotionally, was was the low point. Although I agree with Kev that that giving I, I almost found it comical that we'd given the four 0 away. I, mean, I remember actually I nearly went into the bookies at half time because I, I said someone came up to me and said I, I wasn't. I, wasn't, wasn't watching the Newcastle game and someone said it's 4-0 to Arsenal at half time I was like the, my first instinct was go and put a tenner on 4 all. I don't know why I just thought that, you know we're going to throw this away and that was at half time and I couldn't believe it as I walked down the road I kept checking the scores and it just kept, kept on going, getting worse and worse and finally I got to the greengrocers at the bottom and he said you're not going to believe this I, I said oh I know I know it was just you know and it was just everything just hurtled into this vortex of you know well, you almost lost that game. Yeah. Yeah, they they could have oh, won yeah, it oh, at the end. They could have oh, won it at the end. Oh. So, I, I wish oh. you lot could see the expressions of the body language in this room right now. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> there so, were so many low points, let's face it. Um, and towards the end, it was mm. just one after the other, really, wasn't it? Mm. My low point was Stoke away. And I know, obviously, it was all pretty much done and dusted by them. But I mm. thought the way that that team, who 
I know what you're saying about Abue, but you could really go through the whole team and list an individual error by almost all of them that has cost us either a final or points. But that team, after what happened to Aaron Ramsey there last time, couldn't be asked to show up and to make sure that whatever happened, that was one we weren't going to lose. Yeah. The Stoke fans were abusing the boy. They were giving us stick all over the place. And if that had been my mate, let alone my colleague, mm. let alone someone I've watched come back from a career-threatening injury, um, I would have gone home three points in my bag and I wouldn't have let that boy have been on the losing team, let alone having Benga have to substitute him because of abuse or whatever reason he wants to say for that. And I thought that they were cowards in that game and they and I was embarrassed for them. Was it was it the Stoke game where they were singing boring, yeah. boring, you know, what was it? Boring, boring, boring. Mm. Boring, boring, boring. Yeah, it wasn't mm. even boring, boring Arsenal. And that involved an extra painful, word that they couldn't conjure up. The most painful bit of that was I had to agree with them. I'm getting bored of us passing the ball around the fucking area and not getting it, getting it past, getting it into the area and then going back a bit and then going left and then going right and then going left and then going right. You know, and I, I hated it, but I actually sort of, you know, had that kind of, you know, we've all had those moments up the North Bank where you were so shit, you know, in the past, the years gone by where you've got, we're so bad, you actually start kind of thinking, all right, let the other team, to put us out of our misery, you know, that sort of uh, kamikaze moment. And I actually had that moment with the Stoke game when they were singing boring. I thought, yeah, I've, I've had enough of this, we are. Something's got to change. So that was a very low point as well, yeah. Yeah, it was more than a little bit disappointing. But one player who came out as a shining light in this season was Jack Wilshire, of course, and he's not going to the European Under-21 Championships with England and Stuart Pearce. He wanted to go, so <laughs> why do you think he's been persuaded to pull out? Because it's, um, it, seemed, it seemed a dead cert that he was, he was going to be going. What, what do you think about that, Kev? Well, I suppose that possibly the manager told him that he wouldn't be starting next season if he went. And I, I guess the fear that new guys would arrive and, and he wouldn't be starting the matches was enough to basically put the fear of God into him and, and basically he was blackmailed I think in fairness the manager probably does have an argument that if he did go um, he wouldn't necessarily be ready for the start of next season because the one thing I think he does need is a rest mm. in all fairness yeah. And I think it's a wise decision. Um, mm. I think it's head ruling, a heart ruling head with Wilshire wanting to go. But that's the reason he is his age. He's immature. Um, if he wants to play, in the unlikely event England managed to qualify for Euro 2012, mm -hmm. if he wants to play there, chances are playing in, through this summer is going to make that a longer shot than it should be. Um, so I'm pleased that's been decided and I suspect he was leaned on by the manager who, who put him straight and I'm sure the manager would carry through what he says. You well, know. What's strange is today, in today's evening standard they have Wilshire coming out and say calling for a, um, a mid-term break mm. uh, sort of which Wenger's been calling for for ages mm. and there's, you know, that's been reignited the should we have a winter break thing mm. and there's this picture of Wilshire kind of in an England shirt looking really tired <laughs> and, and saying he's come out backing the winter break so um, it, it may be that rather than tell him with a gun to his head I think Wenger's probably had a kind of fatherly chat and sat down and said Listen, you know, let's look at this objectively. If you're going to play for the England team, the Arsenal team, the England 21s, under-21s team, 
you know, uh, you're going to, you're, you're to put it in an F word, you're going to be fucked. You know. No, I mean, I think the last month of the season, he, his, his levels were lower. Mm. I don't think he was quite as energetic as he had been. So, you know, I think most people did feel he was already running out of steam, which is obviously yeah. no surprise because mm. of the, he had played out of a lot of games. But this is why he's loved, isn't it? This is why he will be loved by England fans and this is why he's loved by us because he is so enthusiastic. He just wants to play football. He loves the game. He loves the fans. He loves, he loves the whole thing about it. And, he, you know, this is when the manager has to do his job and come in and say, look, you know, my experience is and this is the way it is. Otherwise, you will suffer from it and I think we've done the right thing there and I think it was a a stupid debate in the first place to be totally honest with you had he not been a senior fair enough but he's a senior international yeah Yeah, why should you play for both that's ridiculous ridiculous. one or the other they'd do that with Rooney would they and and Carroll was the same situation isn't it no one was getting out their pram about Carroll not wanting to go or um, Liverpool not wanting him to go so it's interesting to look Mm. at um, other players that have played a lot when they're young and, and what's happened to them you just look at Michael Owen, Owen mm. and you also look at Fabregas, mm-hmm. who is injured quite a bit these days. And then you compare them with someone like Ryan Giggs, who was playing at that age, and yet he didn't really do the international football thing. Because he missed a lot of friendlies, didn't he? he, he a, he didn't go to friendlies, and B, Wales never Take qualified Wales, for mm. any of these spies. <laughs> so he always had a break. And he's, you know, basically he had a long career in which injury was not a big thing. So there is a logic to, you know, what Wenger's saying. We all believe it. But, you know, it's interesting now, would we have had him protect Fabregas, for example, mm. in 2004-05 and 2005-06, knowing what we do now, mm. that we would have got more games from him, you know, the last three seasons? Because he's missed about a third of the matches, um, so yeah, I mean, when you when you are young, you, you if you play too much, you end up paying the, the penalty. And this is his first season, isn't it? I mean, you know, let's give the kid a break. So I mean, not uh, it's first real breakthrough season. No one expected him to play this much football, and he has. And he, the last thing he needs is two tournaments: one at the beginning and one at the end. Mm. But you know, the one thing I find a bit baffling about all this is that um, it seemed to me that Jack Wilshire was dictating the terms to Arsene Wenger at the end of last season in as much as he was saying you know if you're going to loan me out somewhere else that's what I heard if you loan me out somewhere else again you might as well sell me I want to play first team football so he was he had the upper hand so Arsene Wenger must have been you know very diplomatic in the way he dealt with Jack he wouldn't have been saying to him oh you're going to definitely be out of the side I mean Basti kind of touched on that the way Basti interpreted what actually happened sounded similar to my interpretation in, the, in as much as he had a fatherly talk and convinced Jack that, that you know, you're better off you're better off not, not involving yourself in under 21 international duty well I think there's, you know, we've, we've had a lot of criticism of our manager recently certainly in the last couple of podcasts and certainly amongst all of us but there are things that he does extremely well and one mm. of the reasons Fabregas was so tight lipped about the transfer stuff last year was his respect for Arsene Wenger so you know when, why are we surprised that he's handled this situation well yeah he did, did a good it's, job on it which no does bring us on to it's summer isn't it Kev is there going to be a question uh, about transfer transfer speculation there may well be Joe well we'll move on to that swiftly then um, oh, Nicholas Bentner and Danielson <laughs> you're anticipating the questions before I am <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Bentner and Danielson, are we going to be sad to see the back of them, given some of the comments that have been coming out of late, 
particularly uh, I, I read the other day that uh, Bentner 100% is going to be leaving Arsenal was, even though I'm not the hugest fan of Nicholas Bentner I was kind of disappointed with that um, Denilson I'm not going to comment on that one at all if we can get decent money for either player I think we'd all be dancing for joy um, Bentner has his fans and there are some who would say he hasn't had a good deal the last 12 months but my overall impression of the player is that he will not put in a shift most of the time he does very occasionally but not enough for me to think he's worth persevering with because the one thing that great strikers will do is work with a team and although Benton has done it periodically as a rule he is perceived as a lazy sod and we know we don't need lazy subs. But he is a typical centre forward in as much as he can actually head the ball. He's and, come on and, and scored some crucial goals. And he will get better. I mean, he's so far off his his peak years. But as I'll a, be honest, as a striker, I'll be honest with you. Neither he nor Chamak are the sort of strikers that I really want to see in an Arsenal shirt. Mm. Um, RVP, yes, um, although he need he needs support, but he doesn't need Bentner and Chamak, in my opinion. Danielson, uh, see ya, mate. You know, mm. I love that. I read. I don't often read the Sun, but there happened to be one in my local, and I picked it up. That's my excuse. Um, <laughs> and I read the, the Danielson thing, obviously, and it just made me laugh that he was going on about how, yeah, you know, that it said Danielson joined Arsenal six years ago, and you know, the reason I'm leaving is we haven't won anything in five years. Hello, well, I wonder what the fucking common denominator of that was. <laughs> you in the middle of the park. You know, I can't blame him totally, but the bottom line is. He, he really, he, no, good, but good, goodbye and good riddance to Danielson, I'm afraid. And yeah, Alfida's in to the pair of them. I, I won't lose sleep. Mm. It's difficult to argue with that. Would, would you like to no, make I'm any not, sort I'm of comment? I'm not offering to drive either of them to the airport. I, you know, I, I like mm. Danielson. I always remember that little YouTube clip of him sitting around with Gilberto having a little Brazilian um, party in the flat. Then, you know, then, but not good enough to be asked. <laughs> I someone. wonder what you were going to say. Was that <laughs> it was a little boat. No, it's not about being cute. It, it was a we don't thing. want a cute. We don't want cute people. No, but they, I, I think he's a Can nice lad, and he gets a lot of stick. And and I'll be pleased to see the back of him. In all honesty, but I, you know, I think he gets he gets it a lot. I us. will drive him to the airport, I'll, <laughs> and actually, I'll get on the plane with him and make sure he gets off at Rio. And go, preferably have a couple of weeks on the beach in Rio as well, be, but not with Danielson. But there's two players you definitely wouldn't drive to the airport, and that's Cesc Fabregas oh, and Nazareth. Oh, and there's been a lot of talk about those two leaving. Um, what do you make of it, or Kev? I think, I think one of them's definitely going. Um, I mean, the, the hope, I suppose, is that Nazareth's just angling to play in Cesc's position, which the funny thing about that was he had several opportunities to do so last year, and the manager wouldn't put him there. So... Um, You've got to wonder what the mm. policy is going to be there. The Carling Cup final being an example, oh, of course. For God's sake, you know, madness. Um, I mean, you know, people talk about Bentner shouldn't be played out of position, but he was a better option starting the game anywhere than bloody Rosicki. Um, but he was on the bench. Um, I mean, I think uh, I think people will be surprised if Fabregas is still at the club. Um, I mean, there's enough money out there to, to match what Arsenal want. And, and how much do they want? Is it fifty million? Like this? I, I mean, think it they would take. To me. They would take forty-five million. Oh. That's I think the price. But wouldn't the right way to be going about this to keep Fabregas, keep Nasri, get rid of the Diabies, the Rositskis? Well, the problem is we are a selling club. Mm. I mean, history has indicated that is the case, and. Uh, 
the manager's obsession with spending as little po as possible in the transfer market means that uh, we will continue to be a selling club. Because the one thing about players like Fabregas is that they want to win things and they don't think they will unless they're surrounded by better players. And there's a lot of sympathy for his reasons to want to go to another team. What could happen is if Man City did offer stupid money um, and ridiculous wages, he could be tempted just for economic reasons to try there for a season or two. And that would be nasty because then he'd be coming back to play us from another Premier Ooh. League team, and it, it just wouldn't be—it wouldn't be pretty. I don't think he'd do I that. Think he I don't think he'd do that. If he was going to go, he'd go to Spain anyway, because he'd want the lifestyle, the family. You know, he'd want to go back to his probably Barca as well. The only thing with Barca is, of course, you know, would Xavi or Iniesta? You know, would he get a game? So that's the thing. You know, um, but that's his concern, and I don't think he cares, does he? He just wants to go. Well. I, I think you know, if I was Arsene Wenger, I'd sit him down and say, oh, this is what my dream, you know. <laughs> uh, I'd, if I was dreaming dream talks, I'd sit down with Cesc Fabregas and say, listen, we're going to, we're going to get uh, some serious players in here. We're going to, you know, we're going to put uh, John Terry next to Vermeulen. We're going to put, um, I know, it's, it's ludicrous dream thing. Uh, we're going to get, um, I don't know who, in the centre of midfield, but two or three proven uh, players. There was talk from the greengrocer, uh, the green, I get a lot of stuff from the greengrocer. Mm -hmm. He said uh, that um, Sanya and uh, uh, Clichy, Madrid wanted them, and we were going to get get um, what's his name, the Madrid guy who can't get a game at Madrid, Bez, Bez, Benzema. Benzema, Benzema, right up front. He plays up front, doesn't he? Yeah. Get get Benzema on a sort of you know, give them some money and and Clichy and Sanya for Benzema. Is that crazy? Or is I my, think this greengrocer just lost the plot? I think your greengrocer's slightly lost the <laughs> well, plot. I, th I, I can think imagine I, one going, but not the two. Well, now Clichy has a year on his deal, and every, every chance Clichy will be sold, Sanya would be a surprise. I'd mm. be very surprised to see him go. What would you pay Clichy and how much for Benzema? Uh, well, you want to value Clichy with a year left on his contract, absolute maximum. £3.50. <laughs> Eight million. No, no, we're paying them because we're getting Benzema. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, oh, right. he's a make weight in the oh, deal. Right, I see, yeah. And then you yeah. value Benzema at, let's say, in the inflated market of today, 30 million. Mm. So you're paying 22 million for him. I mean, mm. he's not, he's not, I don't think he's worth that. But yeah. yeah. none of them are, are they? Right? We have to accept that none of them are, are worth Yeah, but there are more proven players, and I'd rather mm. have someone who had Premier League experience. Um, Somebody like you, Scott Parker, you? for instance? I mean, he's been yeah, talked about like? a lot. Well, would no, like I, him, yeah. I, would, I would take Parker as a squad player um, mm. who can do a job. I mean, the one thing that I think needs to happen is Alex Song needs to pull his uh, bootlaces up because, frankly, yeah, he's got very complacent. There's no challenge for his position. And I think a lot of these players would play better if they weren't guaranteed a spot in the yeah. team. So I, I think we need genuine competition for, for places. And I think buying someone like Parker would, would provide that. And also, he, he seems to me to be made of the right stuff. Certainly, if you ask West Ham, he's got a terrible injury record. That's the only the only yeah. problem. That's the last thing well. we need is someone like that. But mm. do, do, isn't there a thing about don't we need to have more 
a larger quota of British players at some point in the future. Well, they're home-developed, home which can mean you bring them in at 16. Uh, from Inclusion counts, right, as home-developed. Yeah, for example, Fabregas, yeah. you know. So, Fabregas, yeah. I mean, what, the other thing which Wenger's alluded to is we need bigger players. You know, well, there was talk of, there was talk of um, not on the bigger player front, but on the sort of British player front of sort of Downings and Cahills and people like that. So well, Cahill, getting, getting Cahill. a bit more kind of uh, bulldog in fact, atmosphere. I'll take the other area. Cahill, I'll take the Everton Cahill as well, the Australian Cahill, yeah. because he's mm. another guy. Jack Elkis um, reared its head again today, hasn't it? Mm. No, that's, that, they, they were looking at him a year ago. And what about Ashley like Young? Ashley Young is actually a gooner. Do you realise that? I think he's that? just is another... He? he is, is, yeah. is he another theo? Well, so so he could uh, be another theo. So is Harry Redknapp. Yeah, he is actually, and you're right about that as well. But Ashley Young is an awesome supporter, and he ended up going to Villa, and I could never understand that. At the time well, when I, that deal went through, he looked electric to me. I think we would he all like to see. He wasn't quite as good as Theo, but would, wasn't far behind at that stage. Wouldn't we like to see? I don't know what other gooners are thinking, but there is a point where we're thinking Deadwood out, like get kind of a bit of a major shift going. Let's do something radical because yeah. all these little tweaks yeah. don't seem to be working. Mm. And get you know, I mean, I would like to see. Uh, Diaby and, and Chamak and a couple of other players, maybe Clichy, uh, and uh, who I've actually I really like Gail Clichy, but he's mm. just not been consistent. He's been slipping up. He's uh, not stagnant, hasn't he? He's been at the club mm, a long yeah, time, and yeah. he's another one that you're saying like a song. That yeah, and Diaby, you mentioned at Newcastle, and the whole you know that, that we need players with brains mm. as well, a little bit. And I'm afraid we've got a few players that they don't have the mental strength that Wenger so proud of mentioning all you know the mental strength you must have some mental strength but we don't really have it don't seem to be a as well yeah. I mean a God bless him yes he's great fun he's a gesture he's a clown I love him as a cult hero but I don't really want him in, in a, a winning Arsenal team because he's not going to be in one is he yeah I'm feeling the same way after the Liverpool game up until then I was always ready to give him one more chance one more chance and he sort of run out of one chance saloon or whatever you call it. So who so would you put in as a, as a, as a, as a, a say, so if you could have one defender, one midfielder, a defensive midfielder, one attacking midfielder and one attacker, say four new players for Arsenal? Oh, I'd have uh, Pepe from Real Madrid, um, who can play midfield or defence. Um, in central midfield, uh, I mean... We need a stopper for me. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, some boring bastard who's just going to stop the ball coming through. It doesn't have to be anyone glamorous. Johnny Jensen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, we, oh, someone of that ilk, yeah. yeah. You know, well, maybe um, a bit yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been watching enough football matches lately to point people out, but. Um, Emails on, a, on an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. email mm. us with your suggestions. Uh, yeah. Up front? Oh, I'll have Lionel Messi up front, and that'll do me. Well, that, yeah, all right. Yeah, dream on. <laughs> So, so you not keep Fabregas, wouldn't you? <laughs> so you're not buying into this idea that we should buy British or English I, after, I think after it, watching England. It, it, it is preferable, sure. but I mean the bottom line is, you know, we've got a certain amount of money, and English players cost twice the money. I mean, you know, Vidic was an example of a bargain you can get if you've got a decent sound scouting system. I mean, the, the real frustration for me of our scouting system is we get a 16-year-old called Carlos Vela, and Man United spend 20 times the money five years later on a guy called uh, Hernandez and so they've got him for 10 million we've got ours for 500,000 but who's got the better deal ultimately mm. you know because Hernandez is going to turn um, end product into financial gain for Manchester United mm. and more than pay the nine and a half million difference 
So what we need to start doing is buying players in their early 20s who've already got a little bit of a track record and do cost more, but are more or less semi-proven as opposed to punts. Because what we're getting with 16, 17, 18-year-olds is punts. And the problem with that is like a bloody lottery. You know, you might get a Jack Wilshire, yeah, okay, but you get a lot of Danielsons for that as well. And frankly, we've got to be getting more certain bets than, than we are doing. Otherwise, you end up with some of the shambolic performances we have seen where the team has looked disjointed and unintelligent and spiritless. Um, oh, there's one player we forgot to mention, which is Juru. Um, well, lately, and Juru, Squilarchi, and Kosciolny. I mean, defensively, you know, if we Juru, had a Juru, British defence, let's say, I don't want to get all British. I'm going to actually defend Juru. But if we had, if we had, a, you know, that the, the, the Keown Adams, Winterburn, Dixon, or the modern equivalent thereof, exactly the same midfield and exactly the same attack, but we'd have had a really, like, you know, hardcore defence. Basically, we just conceded too many goals this season, haven't we? I mean, we've been able to That's score That's true, goals. but Juru's had his, had his good games in oh. the season just gone. The they just weren't at the end of the season. That's my, that's my take on Juru. And the, what was it Wenger was saying, that he didn't want to rush him back and to fall? And you know, he, was our, he was what we were pinning our hopes on in every defence. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so the, the other thing is, uh, Johan Cruyff said recently that all the great teams have a basis of six or seven players from the country they play in. Mm. Um, and I think that is actually probably true. Mm. Um, so we we did have that at Arsenal. That's true. Man U and Chelsea have got that. Mm. But if you bring in a player that's acclimatised to this country, like Christopher Samba, for instance, that's one player we didn't mention. Yeah. He's been very heavily connected with Arsenal. Apparently, he was very close to moving in January for some reason or another. Didn't happen. Is it going to happen in the summer? And and do we want it? Do we want? Well, it we need happen? a lump. Yeah. I mean, I mm. think him next to Amali would actually be a good combination. Mm. Um, and there's nothing cultured about Vidic. <laughs> you know, Vidic is a lump as well. Yeah, but Vidic is the sort of player you want as a centre-back, isn't he? Yeah. And I think Samba, from you know what I've seen of him, um, he might not be the footballer that Wenger would like in terms of his mm. abilities on the ball. But in terms of commitment and attitude, I think he's probably the sort of player we do actually need. Well, that's exactly a commitment and attitude. Well, he ticks the boxes on these experience in the Premier League. I'd like us to buy some British players, but I mean, what I want them to do is have an experience of where we're playing now. So there's no settling in period. You know, mm. whatever the nationality, if they've played, especially in defence where we are roping, I'd like them to have played in the EPL. I think he's got the good attitude and. You look at some of these Manchester United teams, they're not all perfectly talented. They're all not twinkle toes on the balls. They are blokes that do their job well and they do and they know what their job is, mm. they know exactly what the geezer next to them is supposed to do and the bloke in front and that's what they do. And they might not have the skills of a fairy like we've all got. They might not be able to conjure a bit of magic, but what they do and what their responsibility is 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 their bread and butter and we mm. need a couple of players at the back like that. Yeah, Dixon yeah, and Winterburn yeah. basically. You know, they, they, they weren't clever little fairies no. either, but they did their jobs. Yeah, there was balance in the team back then. Maybe we're lacking it now. But uh, to wrap up in traditional style, the email address for any communications about this particular podcast is gunapodcast at gmail.com. And thanks once again to our sponsors, gunashirts.com. Before we go, just a quick opportunity for one of our panel to give a plug to the website she is here representing, Lindsay. Oh, hello, Gunners. Um, please check out gunnatalk.com. You'll find real HD match day interviews with you lot, having a moan, having a sing, telling us what you thought of the games. 
Um, we've got the interviews with the Black Scarf Movement, loads of blogs, loads of funny photoshops. It's just a general good laugh at Gunnatalk. And we will be back in August, hopefully, to discuss some new signings and uh, the pre-season tour of Malaysia and China, which, of course, is definitely going to happen. The new signings, I'm not so sure about. Well, just a re- <laughs> quick reminder that the current issue of the Guna, number 215, or 215 in um, some other language, can still be bought online from the Guna Shop section of our website, onlineguna.com. Thanks to the panel. I've been your host, Joe Brulford. Thanks for listening. La-di-da-di-da, la-di-da-di-dee. All good friends and jolly good company. Way.